This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. He said Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most probably listening through a pair of headphones, which means I have the perfect sponsor with the perfect product for you. It's Studio, and they want to revolutionize the way people see headphones. Generally, fashionable headphones tend to lack the proper sound quality and the high-tech ones are bulky and not design-orientated. Studio bridge that gap while emphasizing sleek, modern Scandinavian design. To get a 15% discount on any of their wares, go to studiosweden.com which is spelled s-u-d-i-o sweden.com and simply put in the code d-t-d when purchasing a pair of headphones hello and welcome to mid-atlantic the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the atlantic from the perspective of the other at least that's what we do normally but once a month we're joined by our friend tim marshall in a bitterly cold london how are you tim cold great well i'm royful brown i'm in a gloriously warm san francisco <laughs> tim you're the editor of the what and the why you do um you do foreign affairs and things like that don't you uh to the best of my abilities i do yes brilliant well you're going to help me because i know next to nothing about the maldives but first we're going to talk about the tens of thousands of greeks who have taken to the streets to protest about the dispute over the name of the republic to the north many greeks object to the country calling itself macedonia saying that it implies a territorial claim on greece's northern macedonia region hundreds of thousands of greeks have rallied in athens they demonstrated their objection to the possibility of the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia shortening their official name to just Macedonia. People say that as Macedonia is also a Greek region, their northern neighbours shouldn't be able to use the same name as it implies a territorial claim. Organisers say that more than one and a half million people took part in the rally, although police give a much smaller number of just 140,000. Our correspondent in Athens said that protesters are asking that any agreement with their northern neighbours should be put to a referendum so that Greeks can have their say. 
Tim, this has been rumbling since 1991. What has caused this current round of mass demonstrations? Both countries are going through a spurt of nationalism. And that is connected to the crash of 2008 and the financial difficulties. Um, There's a lot more to it than that. They've always had this problem of this name, Macedonia. But it's, it's blown up again because now compromise is in the air. And compromise is in the air at the political level, whereas at street level, it's not, precisely because nationalism is rising in both countries. So... The Greek Prime Minister Tsipras and the Macedonian Prime Minister Zoran Zaev have met, I think, at Davos, agreed they're going to continue discussions at the UN to try to find a compromise where Macedonia no longer has to call itself the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia, which is its official name, but it it won't just call itself Macedonia, because that is a province of Greece, And so they're going to come up with a compromise agreement, such as, for example, one of the things mooted, the new Republic of Macedonia. But at street level, the Greeks aren't having it. I must admit, I I fall between two stools on this. On the one hand, I think if you have an official name, the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia, it feels kind of ridiculous. But everybody just calls it Macedonia. So on the one hand, I'm like, this is ridiculous. On the other hand, everybody colloquially throughout the world calls it Macedonia, what's the problem? The problem is that, like so many international issues, flags, um, little pieces of rock that stick out of the water, it seems almost childish to row about them and even potentially come to blows. And there, there will be riots in the streets if it goes wrong. But it's not actually about that. It's about much, much more. So... If, oh, are you going to bring up Philip II and Alexander the Great? I, well, I have to, um, but I mean that—that's the basis of it. Okay, let's go to the basis of it. Alexander the Great of Macedon, fine, and Philip and all the rest of them. So, where exactly was Macedon? Was it in what is now Macedonia? Was it in what is now the Mas- part of Greece that's called Macedonia? Did it bridge across the two? So it falls down on that. But all right, let's fast forward to now. Whatever you make the historical judgment of about whether Alexander the Great was Macedonian or whether he was Greek, that's just your starting position for the argument. Mm-hmm. Now, if you accept that there is a country, a state called Macedonia, this is the Greek perspective, they fear that in five or 10 or 15 years down the line, there will be irredentist Macedonians who will look enviously across a border and think, yeah, well, you know what, that place is called Macedonia as well. Consequently, we actually think that our country should incorporate that as well. And that how territorial disputes do go. It is not unreasonable of the Greeks to fear that, which is why you need compromise, um, not only on a name, but cast iron guarantees that we have no designs on your country whatsoever. I hadn't thought about this until we were having this conversation, but are we then to suspect that, are we then to think, sorry, that um, the American state of New Mexico is ill-named because the Mexicans might turn around in 20 years' time and say, we'll have a bit of that back? Uh, well, I, um, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. In my new book coming out next month called Divided, <laughs> um, I actually bring this up. 
that, you know, there are many parts of the United States which were once part of the state of Mexico. And given the demographics, mm -hmm. you cannot rule out in 40, 50, 60 years, however things go economically in the regions and the demographics, whereas Mexico might think, why don't we... Uh, why don't we try to join ourselves onto New Mexico? And there could be a, enough people in New Mexico that agreed. And that's why these, these names do actually matter. I mean, the, the, the bigger picture is, though, about the Balkan nationalisms and how, taking it all the way back to the Balkan Wars of, of the beginning of last century, you know, the borders and the names have still, after all this time, still not uh, been sorted out. And again, on a wider issue, Royfield, um, Macedonia has applied to join NATO. Well, mm -hmm. that's on hold until uh, this name is sorted out. Uh, even joining the EU would be on hold until the name is sorted out, because until it's sorted out, Greece, a NATO member and an EU member, will, will uh, block accession. I thought that Macedonia was probably the the least nationalistic, the least kind of bellicose, along with Slovenia, of those former Yugoslav mm. republics. Well, I remember cowering under sniper fire um, in Macedonia during the very mini civil war in the uh, late 1990s and taking a very different view. Um, basically, you have a third of the country which is uh, Muslim Albanian, ethnically, Mm -hmm. Two-thirds is Christian Slavic, and recently they have had a unity government between the two factions, you know, precisely to try to sort out these problems between the two ethnicities. The problem is, is that, again, the Sikh party is the main ruling Slavic party, and it's gone into coalition with an Albanian party, and it's making compromises, which is a good thing. But then on the right wing of Slavic politics, you have this nationalistic um, Macedonian Slav party that is outraged at the very uh, compromises that are being made. And what better stick with which to beat them than in making damn sure that the government holds a hard line on the name Macedonia. So you see, it gets more and more complicated. It is both an international problem, it's a problem between two states, and it's a problem within the state. Now, the Macedonian Slavs, originally, many of them felt that this was a Slavic country and there should be no place, uh, and there was a degree of second-class citizens. This is around about the same time as the Kosovo, which was up there, also Kosovo and Albanians, yeah. were fighting the Serbs. Just when that finished, the Macedonian Albanians uh, kicked off and again, it, it, you know, it is a very divided place. You go to Skopje, for example, the capital, one side of the river, Slavic majority, other side of the river, Mace uh, Macedonian Albanian majority. You know, it's one of those sad situations. M moving this on, and I I'm really just doing this off the top of my head. So you have Albania, then you have Kosovo, which is um, an Albanian republic under UN auspices. Well, it's Kosovo... <laughs> Kosovo is majority Albanian, ethnically Albanian, and speak Kosovan, which is a form of Albanian. Right, hang on. After the war of 1999, a few years later, it declared independence from Serbia. Serbia does not recognize mm -hmm. the, the, this province of Serbia, as it believes, 
is an independent country. It says legally it's still part of us. Some countries have recognized the independence of Kosovo as an independent state. Dozens of countries around the world have recognized it, but dozens of countries have not. And the ones that don't recognize it tend to be ones, let's say, for example, Spain, that might have its own internal issues with places that become independent. So again, you know, it's all, you know, everything is connected uh, in this. But Kosovo, many countries believe it is an independent state. Many countries do not. Okay, so, and they do have a national football team, which for me, um, if they're playing international uh, matches, means they're pretty much, in, uh, you know, uh, a free and in- independent state. That's my rule of thumb. But so you, so we have a situation whereby in the southeast Balkans there are th- there is basically a, a greater Albania oh, waiting yes. to happen. There is Albania, the state. Kosovo, and then a third of Macedonia. Well, yeah, and, and, and theoretically... And a little bit of Greece, even. Yeah, theoretically, little bits of, of, of Greece, um, even little bits of Bulgaria. Now, you know, I, I'm not arguing that the Balkan Wars of 1911, 1912, 1913, and then again of the 1990s are about to break out again, but there is still that... Um, the, the, those issues and, and fissures are still there. They have not been fully dealt with and you cannot rule out uh, further violence. I mean, as I said, it was only 1999, not so long ago, 18 years ago, 19 years ago, where there was a mini civil war in Macedonia about this. Um, there are still shootings in Kosovo between the two ethnic groups, the the, the, the Serbs and, and Albanians, etc., etc. The pressures of immigration and mass migration and the refugee flow has accentuated some of the nationalistic feelings down there. On and on you go. And so on and on, the EU and others simply try to manage the situation year on year. So you're a sensible man, Tim. Um, What name should the uh, former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia call itself? Why don't you do your Kofi Annan, do your Henry Kissinger, and let's just sort it out on this podcast right now. (laughs) I believe that it should be the one that the two sides agree on. (laughs) (laughs) So that's not then the the Republic of Macedonia Skopi. Well, that is a that's a, a potential. But you see, th- there are the hardest of the hardliners in Greece. Any anything that has the name Macedonia uh, is problematic. So you've got to arrive at a name such as the New Republic of Macedonia or the Republic of Macedonia Skopje, the capital, mm-hmm. and then. In the agreement, you put in cast terms, we have no uh, claims on any Greek territory. And that would hopefully assuage the fears on the Greek side, uh, whereas just getting the name Macedonian, getting the, to be honest with you, on the Macedonian side, just getting it sorted and then moving on with your application for the EU and NATO and then moving forward, uh, that is the way ahead. But, um, you know, I don't, I'm not close enough to the passions on each side to know what particular version of, of the name is acceptable. I don't want to wind this conversation back some 2,000 plus years, but whenever I'm, whenever I'm reading my history books about Alexander and his dad, Philip, the, the Greek city-states always said these people were barbarians, the Macedonians were barbarians, and they weren't really Greek. Yeah, well, everyone thinks everyone is barbarian. Um, the Chinese think you should, that's why they built the Great Wall of China. You know, it, there is... 
us, the great civilization, and then everybody else are barbarians. You're right to take it back 2,000 years. That's where the problem stems. Well, no, the problem doesn't really stem from that. The problem stems from historians and their interpretations Mm. of who Alexander the Great was. And you've just given an interpretation but, you know, other people don't have to accept your interpretation of it. And the Macedonians, as far as they're concerned, Alexander the Great was Macedonian. And to prove it, look at their flag. The flag of Macedonia is this great, beautiful sunburst. That is one of the symbols that Alexander the Great and Philip used. Uh, Even that was problematic. When they broke free from Yugoslavia, the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia wanted uh, a different sunburst flag of 16 sunburst rays. The Greeks said, that is the symbol of Alexander the Great. You're not having it. We'll get the EU to lean on you. And the compromise was, all right, we'll use a similar one, but not quite the same one. And, uh, you know, let's, let's finish where we started. This stuff might seem petty. It might seem childish but it's about something much, much bigger, and it's about land. And heritage. But, you know, you're right. This is all about interpretation, because you say that flag is beautiful, I say it's gaudy. (laughs) So it's all about interpretation. You're You're completely right, mate. Uh, I don't think so. I think you'll find that when it comes down to taste, my taste is supreme. And on that note, we'll move on to the thorny question of what's happening in the Maldives. Opposition politicians film outside Mali's criminal court, waiting to hear the fate of their colleagues, Ilham Ahmed and Abdullah Sinan. They were arrested and charged with bribery upon arriving in the country on Sunday. A judge dropped the charges and released them. They are two of nearly 20 politicians affected by a Supreme Court ruling that has created a political crisis in the island nation. Maldivians celebrated on Thursday when their top court called for the retrial of nine opposition politicians, including exiled former President Mohamed Nasheed. And the judges reinstated 12 MPs who had lost their seats for siding with the opposition. But one day of celebration soon turned into four nights of protests when President Abdullah Yameen refused to comply with the ruling. Parliament was scheduled to reconvene after a recess on Monday, but the president said it would be closed indefinitely and imposed a state of emergency for 15 days. The Maldivian parliament is now under military control. Troops in riot gear surrounded the Supreme Court in the Maldives capital of Malé late Monday as security forces arrested an ex-president and two justices amid a deepening political crisis in the Indian Ocean island chain. Tim, I must admit to know next to nothing about the Maldives. I didn't even know it left the Commonwealth two years ago. Can you give me a crash course on what's going on? The Maldives, uh, like everywhere else, has different political parties and views, and it's not known for its, you know, it, it is not the Sweden of the Indian Ocean. Um, there is corruption. Um, what is lies behind this, basically, is that one president, Abdullah Yameen, is refusing to accede to a court judgment to release another president who's in jail and other what are regarded as political dissidents. 
Consequently, um, there's an uproar about it, uh, talk of a coup, and the sides are forming up their lines. And yeah, you know, we're back to potential fighting between two sides. On the even wider scale, what this is also about is China and India. China has this thing called the string of pearls. These are points on the map. Tim, can I just say you're a mind reader? Because my next question was, why does any of this matter? But but you're, you've told you. Well, well, ghost, firstly, sir, it matters to the four hundred thousand <laughs> residents of uh, the Maldives, a a faraway group of one thousand <laughs> islands, about which we know little. Um, they are spread over this one hundred this one thousand islands. Sorry, yeah. To go, go back, China has a string of pearls in the Indian Ocean. The string of pearls are lily pads, you know, jumping off points, and it strengthens their geopolitical position in the world to have these lily pads. Uh, there's one at the bottom of Sri Lanka where they're building a port, um, Gwadar, the port in Pakistan, uh, and, and they would love to have a real foothold in the Maldives. Enter India. Now, if you look at a map, you get India, below it is Sri Lanka, and below that, in the middle of the ocean, are the Maldives. India regards itself as the Maldives' big brother. And they certainly regard it as their backyard. Now, one of the big stories of the 21st century is the growing competition between India and China, which will not be played out mostly on land because of the Himalayas. It'll be mostly played out, mostly, in the Indian Ocean. And so suddenly the Maldives has become more important for both of them. And who is in exile in India? Why, it's the former president, Nasheed, who, of course, would love India to get involved, overthrow the current president, Abdullah Yameen, and reinstall him. But that's just the two, well, the three presidents' uh, ambitions, thinking they should all be in charge. You know, behind it lies... Uh, this geopolitical, uh, not struggle, but competition, shall we say. Okay, so when you talked about China wanting to build this port, I think you mentioned kind of like Pakistan at one point and then uh, in the Maldives. Are we talking about a port for the Chinese Navy or is this just a a case of building up um, maritime ports to facilitate well, trade to these markets for Chinese goods, or is it well, a mixture of the two? It's it's influence. Um, it, it's lily padding. Although when it comes to ports, now the Maldives is is uh, they struggle to have any meaningful ports because they're they're they're, they're almost at sea level. In fact, I mean that's another story. But if and when uh, global warming does result in these sea levels rising to the levels predicted by many scientists, most of the Maldives will be underwater, but that, that's for another time, perhaps. Um, no, it's, it's about control of power. And again, you know, if you, you, anyone trying to make sort of sense of it or with a picture in your head, you know, go to a map and you will see bang there in the middle of the uh, Indian Ocean is the Maldives. And it would be extremely useful if China was to have a listening post there. If China could... Uh, perhaps have a, a, a nice bite of the very, very fruitful cake that is Maldives tourism. I mean, that, that's where they get most of their money from. 
well, who's going to build the hotels there? Who's going to get um, the seawall defences built, etc., etc.? You know, China needs a market, and it would love to have the Maldives as a market. Look, it's not, it's hardly the most, you know, President Xi doesn't get up every morning and think, what am I going to do about the Maldives? But, you know, it is part of that bigger picture about China's uh, expansion out into the world. So we have Supreme Court justices uh, arrested. Um, what do you think is the next move this week in the Maldives? Well, the army is still on the president's side. Um, and that usually tells you what will happen. We haven't yet had mass mass demonstrations and rioting in the street to such a point where you know the president flees and uh, the army switches side and all that sort of thing. So at the moment it is an it is a a crisis. Uh, at the moment the president is going to sit tight, and so armed with only that amount of information at the moment I think the status quo will hold but it's pretty fragile over the next few days and uh, you know you again the the potential for, for real violence is there and um, don't book your summer holiday there yet but you know things will be much clearer over the next couple of weeks let's go back two years Tim because, as I said at the top of this, I wasn't even aware that the Maldives had left the Commonwealth. So um, why did it leave this august uh, institution of which a third of all sovereign nations are a part of? Go back to 2008. It became uh, a, a, a democracy that we would recognise, multi-party, uh, relatively free and fair voting system. But it didn't really progress from then. And the Commonwealth tries to hold itself and its members to very high standards of democracy. I mean, you know, obviously not always succeeding. So the Commonwealth said over and over again, uh, we don't think you're really um, coming up to the standards. And they kept criticising it. And eventually the Maldives just, well, the current government of Maldives, decided, right, we're out, we're leaving. Uh, we don't want to be part uh, of the Commonwealth. We think uh, this is unfair. We don't think you, we think it's unjust. And uh, we think we do have the strength of law. We think our human rights record is fine, which is a very questionable statement. But that's what they said. So two, well, a year and a half ago, uh, they said, right, we're leaving the Maldives. Now, there's two things going on there. One is that they don't like to have to be held up to a higher standard than they were actually coming up to. The other one is, um, unlike most of the other Commonwealth countries, which can be grouped, you know, in Africa, in the Indian subcontinent, etc., they really are out there on their own. And they really can reach out to China or India. You know, they've, they've got other options as well. So I just think that the current administration thought we don't need it that much. What is the point? of the Commonwealth now, other than just a, a bit of a hazy glow uh, of empire, um, a loose connection of countries that kind of speak English and somewhere which is something which the Queen goes along to what once every two years and, and wears a crown and whatever. How dare you? What's, what's the point? Um, well, uh, actually, Royal, from London, there's a very mm -hmm. easy answer. Uh, it's not my full answer. What is the point of the Commonwealth? 
so that Britain, when it leaves the European Union, can reach out and get some extra markets, please. That's one reason. What? <laughs> Fiji, uh, the, you know, the Dominican Republic... And what uh, Belize are hardly going to replace Germany and no, France as a size of And Zimbabwe, I mean, the Chinese are all over that. Um, in fact, actually, are they still out at the... Yeah, I think, well, they were, then they were let back in Zimbabwe. No, but come on, seriously, of course it's not going to replace Germany, but the UK is now going to be reaching out for, for new contracts all over the world, and the Commonwealth nations are going to play a part in that. Now, that, that is not the raison d'etre of the Commonwealth. The raison d'etre of the Commonwealth is a, a group of nations which have um, a shared history, uh, some of it painful, but nevertheless a shared history, with, <coughs> excuse me, English uh, partially binding them together. The old trade routes still remain, whether it's Australia and, and, and Britain. Um, and in this age of increasing, I, I argue, splintering, divisiveness and, uh, and nationalism, I think the multinational organisations of the world uh, need support and need to stick together because... Um, Okay, I'm not plugging my book here, but you know the reason my new book's called Divided is that I, I think that there's a that they're coming under strain. Globalization and the multinational organisations are coming under, under increasing strain. I actually think that multinational organisations, despite always being flawed, are a good thing. So long live the Commonwealth. On that positive note, we we'll quickly go to takeaways of the week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I need to remind you that we are part of the Agora Podcast Network. It's a network of some 25 independently produced podcasts. So why don't you go to agorapodcastnetwork.com and um, go and search out a brand new podcast for your podcasting ears. This month, our podcast of the month is Beyond the Big Screen by Stephen Guerra. So if you want to know the true stories behind your favourite movies, the real facts and the background are often much more interesting and complex than you might think. Um, Stephen interviews people who are incredibly passionate about a specific film or a genre. They are great interviews. 
So why don't you take a listen to Behind the Big Screen on a podcatcher of your choice. On with the show. Tim, uh, the last time we spoke, I think we both waxed lyrical about Cyril Regis. <laughs> you know, what has been your your takeaway, your stand your standout moment of the last seven days? Can't mention football. Don't talk about you being excited about your new manager at Leeds United, uh, etc. Shoot. Um, well, I, I wasn't. I'd forgotten you were going to ask me this, so I hadn't got a list of what has happened over the past week. I'm looking down at a map of the world, and I'm going to alight on the United States of America, uh, mm-hmm. the State of the Union speech, where we, because that was last, uh, about a week ago, we saw teleprompter Trump show up and make a reasonable fist of saying how wonderful he is and how wonderful he's going to be. Uh, the nuances of it, I thought, were fascinating. For example, uh, there was a bit of reaching out, but not much about the future. He was able to tick off what, in his worldview, are successes. Uh, I mean, in his worldview, and maybe many people others, keeping Guantanamo Bay open is a success. He pointed out that black unemployment in America was at a historic low, you know, and he just ticked all that off. And it, for me, it fed into the narrative that I have, that he is uh, not necessarily going to go down with the ship this year, and they might even hang on, the Republicans might even hang on to both houses in the midterms. So the takeaway was the State of the Union address uh, for all its nuances. It gave us something to chew on. Of course, what he did, Royfield, was he came off teleprompter Mm -hmm. Trump, pretty much got his phone out and tweeted, best ratings ever for a State of the Union speech, (laughs) which, of course, fake news. Mm. And and also the uh, rates of unemployment for African-Americans, yes, there might be at historic lows, uh, but they're still, what, some 2% uh, higher than for white sure, Americans. Yeah, you, 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 you were understandably looking for context and nuance, and um, that's absolutely true. And, and it does, it need, it's worthwhile reminding us, and you know, there are obviously reasons for that, historical reasons and all sorts. But I'm looking at a bigger picture whereby um, a wavering voter who, who may be of colour, uh, who may be not to be ideological, can be swayed by that. And, for example, the tax reforms that he brought in two or three months ago has already resulted in big business putting massive investment in. And part of that investment has been to write cheques for $2,000 to employees, and hundreds of thousands of Americans have been receiving checks for a thousand, two thousand dollars. And again, if you're not ideological, and you get a check for two thousand, and you link it to the fact that Trump got his tax breaks through, um, most people are not as um, uh, ideological as perhaps you and I are, and consequently, that will also uh, sway how you think things are going. But isn't that then the reason why the stock market? Uh, one of the many reasons why the stock market had a, a massive, let's say, at best correction yesterday, because all of a sudden people holding stocks and shares are worried about um, a lack of dividends because because of wage growth and because uh, companies, organisations are now giving too much to to the poor to the poor worker. You've been watching The Simpsons, haven't you? You're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. 
If he hadn't given anyone a tax break, people would be complaining. He has given people a tax break, people are complaining. You know, the market is the market. It ebbs and flows. I, I am not a financial expert, but from what I can tell, it was just a course correction. Things have, have bounced back. Um, the American economy is booming. Now, if you absolutely loathe the American president, you might it might actually get in the way of you thinking about, not you personally, Royfield, ordinary people's lives, the mm. booming economy is actually a good thing. But some people loathe him so much, they want failure on every count in order to get rid of him. That's just not the way I think about things. Right. Quick last question before we completely wrap up. The President of the United States of America has made some comments about our wonderful vaunted health service, <laughs> saying that it was in crisis. Now, I've, I've spoken to a couple of people since who are incredibly hot underneath the collar yeah. uh, about this. How exactly have those uh, comments gone down? Uh, well, my little joke about he's sick was actually the headline in one of the big tabloids, uh, the Daily Mirror. Mm-hmm. Uh, just big, big picture of an orange man with he's sick across the front of it. And that is pretty much universally the reaction to it. I mean, there's a number of things. One, uh, he's wrong. I mean, the NHS is in trouble and it is taking some real shocks, but it's nowhere near as bad as he says it is. And, we, you know, everyone immediately got out the stats. And uh, longevity, for example, in the UK, both for men and women, is slightly higher than it is for men and women in the United States of America. But the other thing was that um, what on earth was he doing butting into what is actually a very heated debate in the United Kingdom? You know, he just can't keep his mouth shut. Uh, You know, it's got nothing to do with him. Go away was the uh, overall reaction. But it was funny. You'll you'll, You'll recall the phrase about the English, that the closest the thing they have to a religion is the National Health Service. And everybody closed ranks uh, from both sides of the political divide. Everyone just said, hang on a minute, you can't talk about our NHS like that. Which, um, again, tells you just what a a hot button and emotional issue the health service is in this country, as of course it is in the United States. Mm. That's what I say to uh, uh, to my American friends all the time: is that when when you when you really seriously look at it, there's three institutions that really bind the United Kingdom together. Number one is the National Health Service. Number two, like it or loathe it, is actually the monarchy. Yeah. And then then number three is is the BBC. You take those three things away, and actually we don't have a country anymore. You know, those are three institutions which broadly the the the, the wide swath of Britons fundamentally kind of agree on I would, I would agree with you but i'd add the military to that um but i don't think that's necessarily that different to many countries um mm. and i think what binds the uk together is is stronger than stronger than many other countries i mean uh, pakistan is bound together by the army um cricket and islam um it is a far more disparate country than this one um we're doing all right, but the, the, the strains are showing. Did I mention I was writing a book called Divided? <laughs> Just once or twice. You managed to like slip, slip it in. Yeah. Hey, go on, tell, tell us about this book. When's it going to be out? Uh, it's out in the UK uh, next month. And it just looks at the massive growth in fences and border walls that have been built right around the globe 
Um, Saudi Arabia has fenced itself off from Iraq. India has fenced itself off from Bangladesh. Fences are going up all over uh, Europe uh, because of the population flows. And it is just symptomatic, as I said, of the what I regard as an increasingly divided uh, world. We go through this and um, we can get through it and we can start uniting again. But um, uh, social media would be a good place to start. Just on this fences thing, just before we completely go, and you tell us what your Twitter handle is and all that malarkey, uh, we're going to have to put one up between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, aren't we? There's going to have to be something. It's going to have to be some kind of border provision because of the Jacob Rees-Mogg's of this world. Depending on the deal that the European Union and the United Kingdom do, there may or may not have to be uh, what's called a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Um, there are new technologies that can be used so you don't actually necessarily need a wall or a fence, but you also can't rule it out. But there's lots of different options, including moving the border into the sea. <laughs> Seriously. So in other words, <laughs> after the port. But if, if the UK can get a bespoke agreement, which I still don't rule out, uh, then it might not be necessary. A full-on hard Brexit uh, with no agreement could well mean offence, and that in turn could well mean a return to uh, the violence we saw in the seventies and eighties. I've got, an, I've got an idea. Why don't we just reverse this old Brexit nonsense? What the EU joins got, Britain? There you go. There you go. <laughs> the Queen can be the Empress of Europe. You know, it'd be like the Habsburgs, but the British version. You know, polyglot empire and. A wonderful future. On that ridiculous note, Tim Marshall, I'm going to say goodbye to you. But why don't you give everybody your social media bona fides before we say goodbye? Yeah, and as always, it's very kind of you. Thank you. My Twitter handle is itwittius, and uh, the website is thewhatandthewhy.com. And of course, you can catch up with us. We're, we're on social media. We are at Mid Atlantic Show, specifically that is Twitter. You can go onto Facebook and type in Mid Atlantic and you also bump into us there. You can email me where I'm at Royfield, which is spelled R O I F I E L D at gmail.com. And don't forget, folks, why don't you go on to a podcatcher of your choice, whichever podcatcher you've actually been listening through today, and go and write us a five star review because you know what? Tim deserves it. See you all again in a few weeks' time. Toodaloo. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.